0: So the big question is this, how do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the recruitment rollercoaster podcast. Welcome to the recruitment rollercoaster podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm joined by Andy Morell, who is the CEO at Oscar, who are an award-winning recruitment agency that Andy joined in 2007. They deliver talent across technology, digital energy, and construction. They have a global footprint as a business with offices in Manchester, London, Austin, and Houston. There's circa 80 people who currently work for the brand and are currently sitting at 28 million turnover as a business. Andy thank you for joining. Morning how are you? I'm good uh how's it been? How's life been over the last couple of months Andy? Talk to us.
1: Um do you know what I think on on a relative basis um pretty good um really thankful on a personal level I think for having outdoor space family around me you know to help with uh with mental health and things like that um business wise it's been challenging but we've come through it pretty well and um Fingers crossed, I think we're gonna come out of it stronger than we went into it with. So um, happy, but um, it, it's been a real and, yeah, for sure. And our, our guys have put in monumental efforts.
0: Yeah. So Andy, I, I've been looking forward to this. Oscar is a brand that I associate with one of the sort of leading recruitment businesses up north. Hopefully you so agree. Very to say that. so. Yeah, so, so I'm sure there's lots of people interested to know more about the Oscar story and the Andy Andy story, so we're gonna we're gonna focus today on you joining Oscar and and that sort of thirteen year or so yeah. journey. But just for context, so how from what I saw online, you've been working in recruitment for nearly like twenty years, basically.
1: Um, three months from yesterday it, i'll be 20 years exactly wow
0: okay so 20 Octo- years o-
1: october the 23rd 2000
0: <laughs> okay and then for like pretty much 13 and a bit of those that you've been at oscar
1: yes that's right yeah.
0: okay so we're going to focus on the oscar journey so before that from what i saw you was a contract um it manager for for a business and you joined oscar in 2007 so why don't why don't we why don't we start? I know we said before this that things a lot of things changed at Oscar when you moved from Disbury to, to Manchester. But what when you joined the business, what what did it look like just for context?
1: Um so I was um kind of parachuted in by the owners of the business, um, a bit of a turnaround sort of change project, really. Um the company had been going since two thousand and one um, started I mean, not a lot of people in recruitment remember, everyone remembers 2007, 2009, right? The financial crash. But um, things were difficult in the early 2000s as well in tech. Um, First dot-com bubble had burst. Uh, Post Y2K, there was an awful lot of engineers in the market and and not jobs. Um, And the business was sort of started in in that fire, really. Um, And I think because it started as a tech recruitment business um, by guys who'd worked together before, um and over the course of sort of those six years or so from then, because it was a difficult time in tech, I think we branched out and started to do a little bit of everything. So what I walked into was a small business, you know, sort of single single uh figures of staff. But there was like there's like there was two junior guys doing tech, there was two guys doing uh in uh There there's two guys doing oil and gas, there's two guys doing rail. It was just kind of like a bit all over the place. Um and they were without a leader, and um, because the the previous directors had a bit of a fallout. Um, so I went in as an MD just to kind of put in processes um, that were linked up between all these disparate parts of the business. Um, they weren't really working on a unified database. Um, seemed to me at the time that the the sort of the lead consultants changed the commission structure every month to see what was going on <laughs> with their business. Um, it was there were some good people there, um, and it had potential, but. It was a little bit of a, I don't know, kind um, of like a boys' club in a way. Do you know what I mean? It it, it didn't feel like a business, and I think um, there was, I said, there was some really nice people, and there's some people with potential that we built around, and two of them eventually made directors. Amazing. Um, but it was starting from, you know, we were in a spit and sword dust office above a, a charity shop and a bookies and a pub, and it was it was that kind of, it was that kind of environment really, um, and I think that. As with a lot of recruitment businesses, the existing uh, population there had kind of been bred to by the the person that ran it. Whoever comes in after this isn't going to be as nice as me, and they'll be horrible to you, and blah blah blah. So I kind of I walked into a bit of a uh, bit of a wall of hate, to be
0: honest with you. Um, <laughs> so at, at 27 okay. was interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you joined there when you was 27. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, And obviously before then, you had led teams like managed teams as well.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd only I've worked in one business, started as a trainee um, in two thousand, late two thousand, IT contracts. So very salesy, very old school. Like standard hours were half eight till half seven, that kind of that kind of uh, environment. Which I'm really glad I did, um, because you kind of, uh, I think again from you, you forged strong relationships and I think strong ethics from that. Um, and I was I was I was gone through from being a trainee to, to running a division, and I and I, I, I was. Quite successful in training and managing people. And that's where I really found my umph. I, I was I was a good recruiter, but I was never the best. Um, I don't think I was overly salesy, but I loved working with people. From it's that old typical background of having led sports teams and all that kind of stuff as being younger and and taking that and then maybe learning to be not so one dimensional. And you know as the years pass, um, so I, I'd led teams and I got to the stage where I was running a contract division. I didn't think I was ever going to get directorship of that business or ownership of it. I I was kind of considering, do you start up on your own? What do you do? And then this opportunity came to kind of to go into something where the, there's a very shaky platform, there's a platform there. Um
0: there's a challenge. Build, build it, to see what
1: you can do with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I took that, that opportunity up and um, it was very different because everybody who'd worked under me before as a manager had been trained by me since day one. So yeah, they totally
0: different.
1: They, they see me build. They bought into me. They bought into what I, what I could develop other people into, and um, so that you come into a culture, you become indoctrinated by it, right? I had to go in and indoctrinate mm. them into what I wanted the business to do, what I thought it could do, rather than me sort of go native and just going to be there, be their friends, because that way you don't actually affect change. Yeah.
0: Really um,
1: so it was a, it was a, it was an interesting start. Um, so we kind of, I, I heard about it. On, I think it was like the Thursday and then I went in the Tuesday morning we went in we interviewed me and the owners sort of interviewed all the staff how would you feel about this where are you going with it? blah 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 they disappeared and left me to it and I was like we go. I'm in the business what do I do now <laughs> I honestly like, didn't know what to do I remember walking to the boardroom and there's like a little corner away from the window and the door you couldn't see I just sat there for about 10 minutes I was like Right. But you had together, what did you do now? <laughs> I, I, and then it was just like, you trust your instincts and your processes really and go yeah. from there.
0: Okay. Um, so we're, we're going to attempt to sort of break down this, this journey that you've been on, right? So why, yeah. why don't we try and think about the early days, the first three to five years, which I'm sure a lot went on, but I know when you said, obviously, you, so when you moved to Manchester from Didsbury, which is I'm assuming where this original office was when you joined, um, why did things start to change from there?
1: Um, I think we'll, I went in in quarter two of um, 2007. And again, bearing in mind, this is just the start of the financial crisis. So yeah. amazing timing again. Um, but um, I think for me, I wasn't going to go somewhere and just um, just tread water. And it was important that we invested in things properly and we made it a, a viable business that could grow um, consistently and sustainably. And I think you have to show investment in people. I mean, actually, it, it, those of you, that, if you know Didsbury, it's a lovely place in South Manchester. I lived in Didsbury. So the office was like two minutes drive yeah. from
0: my, from my well, apartment. Well, I've been to Didsbury Business Park because I've been to uh, Moriborne, Finney James. Blah, yeah, blah, blah,
1: blah. yeah, yeah. So it was just between, we were just in the village from there. So it wasn't, okay. swank, wasn't as swanky as those guys. Um, but um, so it was, my, my, I'd never worked in Manchester before, actually. Where I worked previously was out in Cheshire. But my, my, I started to try and recruit for the business, and I was realising that people from the city centre or the satellite towns north, east, and west of uh, Manchester, would they'd be loath to go to Disbury over the city centre, right? Yeah, South yeah. Cool. Links. The M60's a pig um, and, and various other reasons. So I figured, right, if we go to the city centre, I'll be able to attract people from uh, not only sort of South Manchester, Stockport, Disbury, Hale, down there, uh, but also... Wigan and Bolton and Oldham and people relocating like as
0: yeah. well potentially
1: yeah and it was just at the time when I think there was a really a bit of an explosion of growth of uh, city centre living because in the in the past in Manchester not many people actually lived in the city centre you know uh, uh, in the late 90s uh, after a certain time hot on the weekend it was a ghost town yeah. uh, everybody came in from the suburbs but there was this explosion urban splash stuff everybody was building flats and I figured that the young sort of go-getters, which traditionally we build recruitment uh, businesses around them, we do it organically. You post university guys. And obviously Manchester is the biggest university city in the UK. A lot of them want that. You know that kind of that, that New York loft lifestyle where you walk to work, you grab a Starbucks, you go to the gym. And then after work, if you want, there's a bar on the corner or a restaurant or what have you. And I figured that this cool. But for me, I thought the potential in growing it into something um, interesting would be from the city centre. So we we took a, a massive punt. Took out a ten-year lease on a an office of four thousand square feet. Oh six wow! People, um, and, and went from there. I mean, we could only do that because, to be fair, the first sort of six months or so after I'd gone in, the the guys responded quite well, quite well in the main, and we, we could see straight away we 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 could see a path forwards out of the IT and the oil and gas um, areas of the business and the rest of it. We just got rid of.
0: Okay, interesting. So what what was your vision for this business for the first when you got to Manchester for the first three to five years what was you thinking was you just just thinking growth was you thinking i need to get some core cool processes in place to enable us to scale i'm assuming that from the, it seems like from the get-go this is a business that you're looking at scaling so like what was what was the vision for the business for the first sort of three to five years once you got to Manchester?
1: Um. I think long-term vision um, and the type of vision that we deliver now to our businesses, we didn't have. Um, and, you know, admittedly so, I don't think I'd ever been exposed to a vision that the, the business I worked for had been a relatively sort of small to medium sized business. And you were never given that by the owners. It was, you work hard, you make money and you can kind of organically grow up through the business. Yeah. Where, where that goes, we don't know. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. it It, it was just, well, we just keep doing that and see where it takes us. Um, Sorry, so um and we, you know, to be honest with you, even until it was probably only five years ago that we really had a, a proper structured vision in the business that we were able to deliver out to, to to the people that work for us to buy into. It back then, it was it was you, you bought into your own story and your, and your own needs and wants, and really, if the business gave you the platform to do that, that was great. You didn't think about. Um, people buying into the larger picture of the organization or what well, we did and i'm sure the business out there that did um but not really having any guidance That's so uh, interesting you, you you just followed what you i suppose what you knew but wanted to do it better
0: yeah so why why don't we then andy i think why don't we break this down where we talk about the business up until that point where you made the time to yeah. think about vision values etc yeah. which i'm sure went into this because i'm sure because yeah. i keep hearing this andy i'll be honest that it's really common that recruitment business that end up scaling, they get to this point where like, wow, actually we need to think of what we need to be aligned with and that really impacts culture and, and scalability, yeah. et cetera. So I guess was the focus more on then, right, we need to get some good people through the door. We need some good processes. What what did you focus on implementing that you think helped you get? Because where was you as a business before that? that the last five, year, five years ago when you thought about the vision and these things? Where was you as a business um, at that point?
1: So we, we've we've actually had our, our growth hasn't been linear. You know we've we've okay. dealt a lot we a lot this monster like like a lot of recruiters do with, with the desk right. We, we've had that as a business based on a number of different things. So so to break down into eras, if you like. Yeah. Um, so from two thousand and eight, we moved to Manchester. Um, for the first couple of years, um, we're doing at this point we're doing tech in the UK and we're doing oil and gas globally from Manchester because it's a global market mainly permanent stuff, super high fees. I mean, when I walked in there, we, you know, we're dealing with some clients at 40% wow. on, 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 you know, 150K salaries, right? So, so you're able to do some, some big deals, but, um, it, it wasn't, there was no sustainability or consistency to it. And, um, we identified, um, two guys to build. One guy will build tech around you. One guy will build oil and gas around you. And, um, 2008, 2010, 2011, UK economy wasn't great, right? Uh, Well, the world economy wasn't great, but the oil price was still pretty good. So the, the oil and gas guys are still having a great time of it, and the tech team are growing slowly but surely. And then I suppose, jump a little bit, we've talked areas, you flip that on its head to 2014, 2015, when the oil price crashes, but the economy is doing kind of okay in the UK, so the tech guys keep them up. So um, often, often, I suppose it's been a spread of risk, but there's also a counterbalance with one part of the business doing yeah. the other. Um, but in those early years, it was we were just trying to, uh, to be honest with you, I was trying to I suppose replicate what I'd done successfully at my previous business, which was why I was asked to do this job in the first place: to grow, to scale, to build out vertical markets uh, with consistent processes to train i was um, in my previous business i'd written sort of the, the training suite that all the managers used because i was quite passionate about it because that, looked... that was
0: going to be my question andy when you say that what what did you what were the things that you focused on implementing that you think could give it the platform to be successful uh,
1: it was at the time it was, it was all organic growth it's picking up graduates and taking them from there one because we've wouldn't have attracted anybody decent who's experienced well i fell like it was the odd couple but for the main part no we yeah. didn't have a brand we weren't really well known um and it was it was putting them through i suppose essentially the training that i'd set up for my previous business and just trying to replicate that and replicate that there were obviously nuances of the oil and gas industry um which we which i found very difficult myself individually to come to terms with because that wasn't something that i knew about when i first joined the business did you deliver the training? Uh, then I delivered all the sales training and all the, the, um, the candidate acquisition and through that process training, uh, we started as the company grew, we started then to try and pad that out. I mean, we've had a training function for the last oh God, about five or six years. We've had a, a sale, uh, training manager, um, actually looking for a new L and D manager now, if anybody's interested. So But again, that came organically out of somebody who, was, who became subject matter expert in a certain part of the recruitment lifecycle, wasn't really a salesperson but was was a real good asset to the business and we built, i suppose we built a function out of this chat uh, but what we, we started to decentralize training a little bit uh and, and have other people bring in parts to it as as the recruitment process changes and as it evolves and, and bringing in people to do what they're best at but for me the most important thing was being super granular with it and really really detail orientated uh, i I think one of the reasons I became quite good at recruitment in the first place, again, I don't think I'm a great salesperson, but I really hate fucking losing. First of all, I can't stand yeah. losing. I've, I've been that way through sporting background. Um, but I found a way to, so if you like that, I think you'll find a way to win. And I found a process that worked really, really well. And, and Matt Southworth, who's our, our MD for the UK, uh, he's the person that we built the, the IT piece around. And he was similar Really, really good guy, really solid, really, really process-driven. Mm. And that, for me, I think if you can put those processes in place uh, but allow, and then hire people that are bright and intelligent and allow them to use their creative spark within it so they're not inhibited by it, you can build a model that then is scalable. I mean, we, we've all worked with people that are super talented, really, you know, uh, could charm the snakes down from the trees sort of thing. But um, those people, I think, it's really, really difficult to scale up. So I don't think you can build a business that grows on that um so for me it was a, it was about finding consistency uh, I'm, i've always been a big advocate of finding out what good work uh, good looks like and that may that might be different from territory or from from vertical market or from industry or from brand uh, and actually from individual skill set in a way as well but then trying to replicate that and that's a good way of growth you know I was, I was told in my early days of recruitment find out who the top builder is go and sit with them buy them lunch take them for a pint and just 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 bend their ear, you know? Yeah. And in, th- in theory, if you can do exactly what they're doing, why can't you get the same results? And I don't think it's necessarily as straightforward as that because I think personality is a big, big thing. But if you do it within that framework, I think you've got every chance of success.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. So what, so did a lot of your core focus end up on being the the process around training development because you was getting in grads and non-experienced people in? And then obviously, yeah, refining that, getting great at that. And then um, what, other, what other sort of processes or even potentially tools did you start to implement that helps you get more of the good out of people and help build this solid platform that you felt could give you the best chance of scaling?
1: I think for me, a lot of it is that if you, if you talk about being able to maximise somebody's potential, when somebody comes to you and joins you straight out of uni or from a sales job, all they are is this bag of potential recruitment wise they've not done it before right so it's, it's it's finding that that mixture of different things that will make them maximize that potential now often one of the things that i learned the hard way actually um is it's not actually making them the best recruiter they can be necessarily and um, i've got a little a little equation that i use so so forgive me this it's very rudimentary but so i i used to manage people i used to be so evangelical back in my later, latter days at Senator, my early days at Oscar. I wanted to get everybody to be better than me. I wanted them to be a hundred percent because I felt when I went there, anything that went out the door of Oscar had my name on it. Yeah. Um, and 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 I, I'm I'm a bit of a, a perfectionist, right? But what I realised was that when you manage people that hard, and you mean the right things, right? You, you genuinely you do it for them, but you manage them that hard, and you, and you get so upset about little things they don't do, right? What happens is you you I I say I could make you a ten out of ten recruiter, right? But for the things that I'd have to do and you'd have to do to get to that stage, you'll want to do the job and you're driving your desire and and, and, and and your motivation will probably drip to a two or three, right? So your output's 10 times two or 10 times three, say 20 or 30, right? That's, that's your output you get from somebody. Yeah. Whereas let's say, actually what we want to do is get maximum output. It's not about, it's not about being right, it's about winning. It's not about making them technically the best recruiters in the world. It's about... Putting them in a situation where they do the best job. So if I get to a stage where you're my trainee, Hisham and I say, "I can get, you, I can get you, you'll do the rest," you say, "I can get you to seven, seven or eight out of ten, without all the shit that we've got to go through to get you ten out of ten I guarantee that your want for the job and your motivation will still remain at an eight or a nine or a ten, right? Yeah. So what's ten times seven? Seventy. 70. That's a lot more than thirty, right? So, <laughs> so I, I think for me, it. So to answer the, the, the original question, what else did you put in place? It's not just about technical training. It's about creating an environment that they be thriving but also want to work in and stay in for longevity purposes. And it took me a long time to get that right. Long, long time. Um, but it's, it's, building, it's building role models. It's building pillars. It's building people that they want to be and want to work for. They've got to want to work with you and for you as well. Um, you've got to be able to give them a clear route to money. It's got to be super, super transparent about how they get to the next stage in their career, how they earn X amount of pounds to, to pay off the student debt, to buy the first house, to go on a swanky holiday, to whatever it is they want to do. I think those things are really important. And it's also about giving them all the tools so they don't feel, because we all, we all have those shit days or weeks in recruitment, right? The last thing I ever want is somebody who works Oscar and those days to go, Oh, well, if I was up the road and, and I had this super sexy CRM or or LinkedIn recruiter license that I don't have here, then I'd do better. So we so you give them what they need, and yeah. if you combine if you combine those things for me, then I think you've got the best chance of success.
0: Yeah, and that's the journey that you've been on. It seems like then to to build all this together. So where where was the business five years ago then? Before you, in like what what prompted the the focus on vision? Uh, like, did you have any values at that point? What like because it seems like yeah, you had to go through that learning process. But where was you as a business five years ago?
1: It's that whole thing, isn't it? You know, it takes a decade to become an overnight success, right? And I think <laughs> I, I don't think there was a moment. I don't. I don't okay. think there was a flick of a switch. I think you evolve and you learn and you continue to try and process what you've been through. And you know, there there, there, there is a topic du jour, isn't there? Whether it's uh, personal branding. A few years ago, it was meetups. Before that, it was LinkedIn. Before that, it was something else, right? and I think it's just making sure that you're adding to what you're doing to make sure you are using i suppose relatively bleeding edge recruitment techniques so that you're not just dragged along with it so that you have to do it because everyone else is doing it yeah and I think I think the whole branding I, I I was always a bit cynical because I've seen so much so ju- during my time in recruitment that said there was the what post Y2K.com bubble bursting in 2001 and then 911 so the world was difficult till 2004. And then there's the financial thing, 2007, 2008, 2010, 11. And then there's the oil and, and gas um, thing. It absolutely killed us in 2014, 2015 when the oil, pri- oil price fell off a cliff. So you look at these things, and I, I used to say, well, what's the point in setting the long-term vision? Because there's always yeah. something outside of our control that dictates that we can't do that. I was so wrong, right? Mm. Because, because I think if you, if you say, right, this is where we want to get to in three years, but, and this is how we're going to do year one, year two, and year three. If something changes in year one, that's cool. We just realign it and we go again. But if we're not talking about our values and our vision and our purpose, then it means fuck all. I mean, you know, we, we, we've had a mission statement and values on our wall for years. If you don't talk about that, if you don't get the pillars underneath you to buy into that and talk about it with their teams, and they talk about it with their teams, it, it, it's, it, it's just a, a facade, right?
0: yeah exactly and and this is what i keep finding with business owners like yourself so just just for context then yeah so i'm assuming yeah just after the the oil and gas plummet what where was you as a business like headcount wise turnover wise just to give some context as to the sort of growth and things
1: So, um we've got turnover up to up above 10 million um i think possibly one year we go into mid teens um at one stage we had as, as, as boarding on as many staff as we had now we'd opened up in singapore oh, wow. um the, the, the plan was that you know oscar will be open 24 7 you know uk us singapore over there and um, we'd also won a, a bit of a mini rpo over in houston when we first went over to the states which it became a bit of a chain around our neck actually because we made the mistakes again but um the, the next part of this big project was going to be in the shipyards either of south korea or singapore we were told by the, the business that, that ran it that any chance of getting the next stage of it, the fabrication part, you've got to be over there. Um, so that drove that a little bit, but we opened up Singapore. And then within a year, the world comes crashing down in oil and gas. We were too spread to be able to, at that point, bolster it with tech. So we shut it down and it, it, it cost us well over a million quid, you know? And th- th- that's why I say our, our growth hasn't been linear. It's been up and down. and, and, as I said, that you know, at one point, uh, our, uh, 65% of our NFI came from oil and gas. And really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that came crashing down in, in 2014, 2015. And m- myself and um, a guy called Matt Holmes, who was a director, who, who when I came into Oscar, he, he was a, a consultant. He was one of the good people we built around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he went all the way through, actually to the same level as me, not even the director under me. And, and he, he, his expertise was, was that part of it. And me and him looked at the, the previous oil price crashes. and Every single other one in history had bounced back to become greater within a period of time. So the, sort of the shareholders and those pressures, get rid of oil and gas, it's gone, it's dead. We we're like, no, 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 look at this. History, data tells you yeah, it'll yeah. come back. It'll come back stronger. For the first time ever, it didn't. You know? Um, <laughs> and we were you, on. How long did
0: you wait? How long did you give it?
1: Um. We maintained a presence in the UK for maybe six to nine months after it. We had, we had a couple of corporate accounts. See, in, in the tech world, we, we have a real, real um, spread and, and, and risk of portfolio of clients. Um, whereas in oil and gas, it's a couple of real big corporate businesses, uh, you know, global players, and you've got these big accounts, and you think, if we stick in with this here, we will absolutely clean up afterwards. Um, but of course, what happened was, from a contractor perspective there were a lot of these huge big behemoth recruitment agencies who were going around um mopping up all of the existing contractors for like four percent markup and stuff that economies of scale wise we can't compete with we're a small business and for the perm stuff that we were quite good at which was sort of bordering on search for a lot of these high level oil and gas guys um we thought we still we still sat in a really good place so we maintained our we maintained our our, um, our UK function, we were doing a, quite a bit of stuff in the Middle East. We essentially got screwed over by a player over there, which we continue to do business with, but they never paid us. But you try getting money out of certain places, then you, you've got no chance, you're <laughs> in a hiding to nothing. So we, look, we, we made super amount of mistakes again. It was driven probably by data-driven uh, decisions and looking at history and looking at putting our presence in the market, but um, we were wrong um, and again, Set us back a load so we we transferred our, our oil and gas practice over to the states completely they transferred it there we just stopped doing it in the uk and the the guys who were doing oil and gas i had the left of their own volition or transferred into the tech team and the uk became tech uh tech only um should we have done it sooner and reacted more quickly with hindsight which is always 2020 vision absolutely um but at the time as i said it it, it wasn't decisions that were made on a whim or or without um, quality information behind them, but we, we still got it wrong. So Singapore shut down. Um, Houston, we we had to we had to tag tech in on, on the back of that, which has since been been very successful. Um, but it, again, it was another fight. It was an, at one point it was a bit of a fight to survive, and we have sort of gone from our best best ever place to a fight to survive to really now building something where. I think it's very sustainable. We've learned a lot from those mistakes and we're in our best iteration ever.
0: What, what do you think of, what, what makes you feel more confident and sustainable?
1: Um, I think that we, we, we're now better spread. Um, although we still have the energy practice um, out of that organically sprouted a, a, a construction brand, we've just, um, this week, um released a digital brand which again is um again it's just half a step away from tech right and we all we already have a footprint in that market um i think we're nicely spread because we're across across different economies and um, we're across different industries um and you know take take the coronavirus thing which is obviously again it's, it's the topic on everybody's lips at the moment and there appear to be different phases of that as a business we fared pretty well um we, we've gained it in headcount of staff slightly, and um, we've been able to attract some really, really cool people that possibly, you know not to, to do ourselves any disrespect, but we might not have had the opportunity to speak to these guys in all the circumstances. And we've fared well, and um, the US have, have had consistent sales figures throughout this period and haven't dropped, if you take the rolling average. The UK, we had a, a bit of a plummet in April, but we gained 40% into May and 89% into June. Um, in June of this year, we. We placed as many people as we did in January when the market was buoyant. So far, we're into the the last week now of July. This will be, again, just in terms of, sort of sales in the UK and Europe. This will be in our top. It'll finish somewhere between top two to top four of, of, of months ever. And I think that's because we, we have better relationships with clients. Um, we've learned as people that run the business more. The culture is better so people won't panic and and leave or think about uh, their future necessarily. Um, And I I think we have a better understanding now of how to deal with circumstances that are beyond your control um, from a psychological and a practical perspective. Um, And I I think, to be honest with you, for me, I know that this is going to sound really wishy-washy and flaky, but our mindset now is that we will carry on and be a success despite what's happening and irrespective of it, rather than just hoping we come through it. And I think that's one of the differences that we have to maybe some of the businesses um, from people I've interviewed recently, uh, where you know, they're kind of they're saying, well, we'll just get through this. We're, we're, we're talking about how we will come through this best and how we will use it to, to grow the business and, and, and continue to strengthen our position
0: in the markets we're in. yeah so so ultimately it's the the diversification learnings from that and everything that you're talking about there that, that that's really interesting so what what i wanted to dig in with you uh andy one of the most common yeah. questions that i always get from personas yeah. from recruiters around growing their business and i'm sure you hear this all the time is is always like i get to this sort of certain milestone of head count it might be 15 20 heads and i always keep coming back down going back up or whatever so I guess you've spoken a lot about training, you have mentioned a bit about culture, which i want to dig into after this. But what what do you think what how have you got better at hiring? How have you got better at understanding your hiring triggers? Um, because I think that's something that holds a lot of people back. And I think the the second part to that, Andy, is what I see online is you've got a lot of people that have stayed at Oscar for a while. So we always you always hear people talking, I need new hires, new people that can build this, da 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 but what what you, clearly you've also been impacted the retention but what's been your learnings and how have you got better at hiring?
1: Um, I don't think we've got better at hiring at, when we're talking about those entry-level people um, and okay. I don't think we, we, we've suddenly accessed a different level of graduate if that makes sense and um, I think we've become better if, if you're bringing them into a better environment, then. They will do better than more like to stay. If for me, I think it, it's building pillars and it's building role models and it's having enough of those. I've always I always say to people in, our, in my business who want to get up a level, I think it's super important to have, ideally three, but if not two, very strong people underneath you that you want to t- to step into your shoes. And I think, um, I actually think one of the real really important things that we've done is generated a lot of female role models within the business. Um
0: what what makes I've, a role model in a recruitment business? What makes a good you, role model in your opinion?
1: Um, well there's a couple of ways of answering that. I, I think because the, the the question could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. So if so what makes a role model, and this is important, I suppose, to give context to it. Um what makes a role model, as in what people think a role model is, is very, very is much is just as important as to what makes a good role model, right? So if you if you're in a in a business where, so again, one of the big things we say about the change from a few years ago, looking back, we had some really strong strong recruiters, strong billers, people who have gone to other businesses who are, are good at the job and trained well. And I think we, again, me being honest, sometimes maybe had a bit of fear of losing those people and allowed them to maybe set the tone and set the culture a little bit more than we did as a business holistically. And I think sometimes that puts blockers on other people who were afraid to then find their voice and i think that one of the best things that, that we ever did was say we, we we call it we call it being on the oscar bus right and um, uh, we a few years ago we sacked a couple of people who were really good billers and it was the best thing we ever did wow. um and it wasn't about the, those people personally they're, they're good people we got on now but um
0: why, why was it the best thing you did
1: because it was it was drawing a line in the sand that we are about a lot more than that, um, and it's it's about it's about the contribution you make to the whole, which isn't just financial. Um, and the the greatest the greatest recruitment billers can absolutely be your biggest blockers on growth. And I went through a lot of time going, but well, if we lose them, we could lose half a million pound revenue this year or whatever. But somebody inevitably always, if you've got that right, the rest of it right, somebody will step up and somebody will step up who maybe. Isn't um, a a um, maybe somebody who, who who then maybe puts forward the wrong message, um, and we've got this big thing about being on the bus. And I think once you have the, if, this is the big thing, and I, I, I take this from this phrase from other senior people in the industry that I learn a lot from. If you make it cool to be good. And that's, that goes out with that whole role model thing. If the role models, you want, because let's have it right, quite often we're growing up at school, you know, you look up to the cool kids or the naughty kids, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The people, the, the role models, the, the kids who get straight A's, not necessarily, right? And I think that you, even when you go into your 20s, the same thing sort of applies. And I think if you ch- can try and change that culture and make it cool to be good, that is the biggest thing. And that was one of the biggest changes that we had. And you, cr- you, you create that culture by ensuring that the people are a success are good good people, good for the business. We were sort of talking about wearing the company hat, being on the Oscar bus, and inevitably those people will get the, the, the best success longer term. Um, but I would much rather have a greater number of good billers than two or three super billers. So I can say, hey, my top bill is 1.8 million this year. I'd rather say oh, I've got 10 people that do half a mill each, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think pe- people buy into the, to that more. People respect it more. Um, and listen, we, we're not we're not st- sticking the muds or anything like that. We have a lot of fun uh, within our business, Crikey. You know, it's a lively culture. But yeah. I think that there is that there is a line, and the, the there's when you when you when you create that and you realise that's where you want to go to. Naturally, it, it builds an equality within the business, and that you you will find that role models will come forward that that have a different voice to what to what you've had previously when you have that happen you naturally get receive more ideas and you evolve uh,
0: yeah I was going to say I feel like if I'm an employee of yours and sort of there's that sort of undertone of like there's this top biller that they, they do feel like they're a bit toxic or they aren't quite aligned with the rest of the culture what Andy's trying to communicate change and I can see that and then Andy the leader takes the decision to go you know what yeah we need to get rid of these people when as an employee if I then see that of course that's going to encourage that's going to encourage more yeah more of the yeah. right people, right, and yeah. get those people through, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- those people that kind of moved on from the business, they're not inherently bad people, right? but there's, no. no. There's, there's a frustration of theirs or something's happened in their personal life or something's um, meaning that they are then causing disaffection in the business um, quite often subconsciously. Um, sometimes it's, a, it's very, very overt, and then you deal with that differently, of course. Uh, but for us, it's made such a huge difference um you know uh some of the role models we've got in the business at the moment are just incredible
0: people and why why you mentioned why why do why did you go to female role models why has that been important and why has that had an impact do you think
1: um because um it, it was it's not been done by design but since we've had um a large amount of female senior managers ad's um it's definitely balanced the culture because the conversation driven by those people with the voice isn't always. And I, listen, I love talking about football. Well, maybe not at the moment because <laughs> yeah. I'm a Baldwin fan, right? But but you know, it's not just about football or the pub or whatever. It's completely balanced. And there's always somebody to look up to who's probably a little bit like them, you know. And um, my the directors that we have in place that run the recruitment population, Kevin in the US and Matt in the U- in the UK, really, really different types of people, um, and that's really useful as well to get those ideas from. I mean, it's it's difficult sometimes when you're hiring because they have very different opinions. Um, but I, I think having that variety of thought um, absolutely brings new ideas to the table because if, if you become quite often, I believe, um, uh, the sum of, of your surroundings, right? You become indoctrinated by it or whatever, you know, you part of that culture. And I think if everybody you bring through is the same, it's gonna be a carbon copy of you. And it kind of goes against what I said earlier on in the interview about sort of copying what people do and becoming the same success. I think that's a framework. But I think within that, you need different thoughts. You need different views on the world. Um, again, a, a, a recruitment leader I look up to an awful lot said this a couple of years ago. And it, it's really simple, but it blew my mind. It's, if, you, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. Um, and quite often, you know, what you've been, you've, you've been writing a, a, you know, a, an RFI or something, you, you've looked over it with the same eyes and again and again and again. You can't see the obvious mistakes, right? Because it's the same eyes. So as a business, if we bring different eyes into it, and for me, a lot of that actually has been about me expanding my mind outside of the organization instead of being head down and networking with other recruitment leaders, you get different viewpoints. Now, worst case scenario, and this is absolute worst case scenario, and uh, you get affirmation that you're on the right path, and you're probably doing the right things. Yeah. Best, best case scenario, you learn there is something else that you can add to what you're doing, or change, or evolve. So it's win-win. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. And, that, and that, that's for me, that's an external thing and an internal thing too.
0: That's really interesting. So yeah. So again, if you, giving people in your business an opportunity to look up and see a real diverse mix of people who are role models yeah. that's gonna yeah that that's so interesting
1: um a, lo- a lot of it's about letting go and it's giving people a voice because let's have it right in, in any industry you can put somebody in a role and call them a manager or a leader if you're not allowing them to manage or lead they're not they're just they're your voice in this little echo chamber. yeah right? yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the traditional method and something that's worked really well for us in the last few years actually is, is changing our thinking on things is traditional recruitment thing it's it's meritocracy is a really really cool thing but there's a dark side to it if you're not doing well you don't enjoy the fact that somebody who's been with you less time does better than you right so <laughs> th- there's always two sides to that coin but th- with meritocracy y- you earn it you get it you earn it you get it right but there are sometimes some people that have got super potential in an area but something's just holding them back and if you go well just wait until you do this and then we'll, we'll, we'll give you this responsibility they're never going to get that but they could be really good if you give them responsibility anyway. And one of the things that, again, that we've probably changed in the last few years was letting go, me, again, it's part of me getting rid of that perfectionist side a little bit and going, do you know what? You're not quite there yet. You're probably not ready for this, go for it. Because the mistakes you'll you'll make now will absolutely be overcome by the good and the extra stuff that you'll bring to it post when you get to, to, to that point you'd have gotten to anyway. Um, and for us as as a business, there's there's a couple of people where I've known they've wanted something, and you just, just not doing the sales figures, or not doing something else that's quite getting there. And we've and we've gone, do you know what? Let's do it. Let's take upon. I, I I'm trusting in you. I think you'll pay me back. Whereas the the normal equation is is yeah. You you, you earn it, we give it you, and then and then we get there. And now sometimes that doesn't work. And the problem with that kind of stuff is it becomes very subjective and it can cause issues because people say, what about me as well, right? Um, but I think if you do it based on the right behaviours, I think it goes down really well and you will it's risks you'll take and it won't all pay off, but you'll win more and you'll lose. And th- that way I think you can expedite growth.
0: So what I want to talk to you about, Andy, because what I see from you online and, and the sort of, um, I've had a couple of interactions with different recruiters from your business and I think it yeah. sort of, I saw on your LinkedIn profile, you put, I work for my people. Yeah. Don't normally hear that, right? <laughs> yeah. But so I guess it's what you're talking about here is like, what's been your sort of business leader journey? Like, it seems like you've been on a bit of a journey there. You've become more vulnerable. You've, you've had to let go, as you're just talking about. But yeah, sort of what, what have you recognised in, in hindsight, or I know this is an ongoing process, right? But what, yeah. what have you had to get better at? Or what, what sort of key things have you gone through or changed as a leader that you think has has had an impact on the business
1: i think lots i, I, I mean it, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing like you say it's evolving you, 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 you know, it's a journey rather than a destination you know all those cheesy sort of metaphors i think um there's been a number that maybe concentrate in your mind because that's the stage you're at at that point. Right. So, I mean, I I did a a, a similar sort of podcast a couple of years ago. I would probably give a different answer to the one I do now because I'm in a different place. Right. Um, I think for me, again, as you evolve, I I've always really, genuinely, genuinely, genuinely well, meant well for for anybody who works with me, be it from when I had my first trainee Ross, who, who's a director of that business now, through to the people who 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 I work with now, who some of them are thousands of miles away and only see me three or four times a year, and genuinely, I will never ask anybody to run through a brick wall that I wouldn't run through first. I, but I think that sometimes, in maybe in the early days, that wasn't clear and you're pushing people and they don't get they don't necessarily get get that you will do that for them because when you're not billing it's very difficult to show them because you have to yeah. do other things um and i think for me style of style of engagement and style of communication you know um you know that we've, we've all read the book but my you know my chimp still comes out quite regularly you know and i have yeah. to put him back in his box Um, you know being a relatively emotive person but i think I think it's, it's, trying to le- it's trying to learn from those experiences when there's a de- decision to be made and not just jump into what, make, what makes you feel a certain way is crucially important. And I think that, again, a very good, good friend of mine, a sales trainer called Trevor Pinder says, don't ever stray too far from your genius. I think I went, through, I went through a couple of years where I think I was a relatively ineffective leader and I didn't feel like it at the time because I, I've done a lot to try and look after people and I felt like I maybe not had um, the same loyalty in return you know, people forget the 99 things you do for them that's great and always remember the one way you made them feel crap, right? We all know that. And, and, and that pissed me off because I, I did a lot of stuff to sort of go out of my way to help people. But it's the, it's the way of things. And I think I was afraid for a couple of years, to be honest with you, a few years ago of, of giving too much of myself. Wow. Um, because I thought if I do that, I'll end up in the same position again. And I, 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 I slowly but surely just learned that I'm not really enjoying this. I'm not being me. What I do need to do is I need to learn. I was always trying to do the right thing. And I think it's it's learning to make sure that you, that everybody understands that. And, and it, that's down to you. It's not their fault. It's down to you, it's down to, you to, to to communicate with them properly. Um, and actually, you should, again, that, that whole strain away from your genius. I think you've got to be really, again, really overused where you've got to be authentic. And I think that once I return to being authentic again, again, it's probably coincided with, four years ago us really finding ourselves as a business again Mm. um and um you know from a technical perspective in terms of things you learn leadership wise wow you know there's there's ongoing stuff you can you can never learn too much
0: i think that's really interesting andy because i think that's something as a leader or as a business owner you've got to be because i feel like what you're saying there is that you've had to get you had to get really comfortable with giving Without the expectation of getting something in return, or like, or it, or being in a place of giving to sort of in the back of your mind, go, I hope that they do actually take this and they preach my loyalty because if you don't, because clearly when you were doing that and you are thinking, well, what if I give and then I and then they don't give back or whatever, it can affect that, can't it?
1: It can,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's hard expect- to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, know, you think about all relationships in your life that, you know, it should be quid pro quo, but quite often it's not, you know, yeah. the, 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 I think the French have a saying in the relationship, there's a kisser and the kissed." you know, yeah. and somebody always has ultimately has, has that, um, that, that power. Um, but I think for me, if you, it, it, it's about continuing to try and show people that you are, tr- you're doing this for them as much as you and creating that, that environment uh, there's a couple of leaders underneath me who've been technically fabulous, and 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 they kind of I can see in them what I used to be like as well, and it's really really um, it's not easy for me to work with them, but I can work with them on it because I've been through that journey myself.
0: For it. Help
1: help them with those things. It's something I'm very passionate about. And listen, I, I'll still make mistakes as a leader now, but I think quite often I'm trying to it, with our business. It's it, it's it's really really it, it's not autocratic anymore anymore, nowhere near. And I think it's allowing those people to feel like that they have an impact on the business means that they will have an impact on the business, which means, I suppose, that then uh, on a personal level, my 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 emotions of, of what it's not I've done, it's what we've done, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm really proud of what we've done and what we continue to do.
0: So, as, as we come to the end here, Andy, I just wanted to just have a bit of a focus on we've spoken a lot about growth and these things, but obviously, you, to create sustainable growth you've had to keep hold of some of your best people which typically can be really difficult and something that you're worried about talking about it there giving a lot and whatever so like what do you think have been i know we've spoken about culture and these things it's no doubt will contribute to it but what do you think have been some of the things that you've done as a business that has really impacted the retention of your staff do you think
1: um i think (sighs) We, we've we've won quite a lot of awards in the last couple of years for sort of best recruitment company to work for. We were number one on the Sunday Times um, best companies as a recruitment business. And a lot of it, a lot of people sort of take to that. I was talking to a, a friend of mine as a recruitment leader last week and he, he's very cynical about all that kind of stuff. And I, my response is that, again, that's something you get as as, um, as as a spin-off from what, you, what you're doing to help you with that retention and all the rest of it. If you do those things just for the sake of having a gong on your wall, people see through that pretty quickly. Um, and I think that, again, it's probably about four years ago, um, I think just decided to to go balls out and go, let's do what we think is right rather than what the rest of the the, the world is doing. It doesn't mean that individually we're doing anything that's absolutely unique, but I think it's doing what feels right. So, I mean, you take the there's, there's this whole thing about um, mental health is super important, right? And I'm a big, big bad advocate of working with mental health as much as physical health. Uh, and the two are intertwined, of course, as well. But, like, you know, Mental Health World Day or whatever, people put loads of shit on LinkedIn and then forget about it. You know, stuff like that, that we talk about and, and, and deal with and support every single day and every single week of the year, that's really, really important. Um, and I think, it, it, for me, a lot of it, what we've created is an environment where it, it's there, it's real, it's true. It's not just for the cameras, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got, we employ a psychologist, Hannah, who's, who's an amazing lady, um, who um, comes in and does group sessions on on mindfulness and resilience, but also um, we pay for individual sessions, and you know it's it's a it's hundred odd quid a pop, right? And, and there are numerous people that we pay for a, a weekly basis for people that are struggling with a variety of different things. Now, I bet we're not the only bit recruitment business out there that does that, but our staff knows we mean it. You know, we
0: and um, yeah, it's, the, it's but, the intention that matters, isn't it? It's, yeah it's
1: yeah you know uh, and you know we've we've got we've got a mental health app that we give to everybody but there's also the the whole thing you know we started doing longer lunches for the gym and and for all that kind of stuff uh, and people go do i have to work sort of half an hour later tonight because i've gone I was like no
0: <laughs>
1: no no just just take it use it for me it's not completely altruistic i think you'll come back in the afternoon bust up anyway and do a better job if you have to sit at your desk for an extra thirty minutes just because you've gone to lunch for lunch for for a longer period of time, it's bullshit. It, you it's may well go just to work. Yeah, yeah, And I think I think it's just we, we are run by recruiters who, very recently or somewhat recently in my in my experience, Graham Older, have been in the position of the people who work for us, right? And I think it, it's it's remembering what, how you felt, what you thought. You know, when you're a kid and, and you say to your mum and dad, when I'm a parent, I'm not going to be like you. I hate you, mum and yeah. dad. And then you become a parent and you go, oh my God, I'm my dad, right? Because what they were doing was the right thing to do. The key is to try it, is, is that communication so they know you're doing it for the right reasons, And that, that comes from mental health, from physical health, from rewarding people, from... You know, it's little things that, that we that we do, you know, our, our all of our social stuff. We have a social committee. I give them a budget, they do it. So it's not what... Andy and the, well, the yeah, dark. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Our, our charity committee—it's decided, it's decided for and run by the individuals. So that you know, this this isn't a wishy-washy community, you know, cooperative community or anything. But it's it's having people know that their decisions and how they feel will have a direct effect on their environment. Yeah. And, and that's really really important. And, also, and they and
0: they've been empowered to do that. It's not Andy yeah.
1: Yeah, and it, it is listening to changes. And then, you know, when I first started in recruitment, it was, it was all about the money, right? It was big fat uh, knots in your tie and that kind of stuff. Now, people cherish more than anything else time. Time, that, you know, it's, a, it's been a bit, it's the most important commodity we have. So, you know, give you an example. Every single month, we run an incentive for teams. So they all get it or none of them get it. The earlier finishes the the, the following month. So we're, we're clocking off at one o'clock today as we're doing every Friday this month because the teams hit all the targets in June because some of them, and in fact most of them, would probably prefer that over a X amount of £100 bonus, which they get anywhere in the commission. And it's listening and learning to what is becoming more important to them because generation by generation, although a lot of them will feel the way you felt when you were doing the job, what means to them, what matters to them is different. You know, yeah. um, we, we, we've we've addressed the, the the diversity and equality thing an awful lot um, recently and had a good look at ourselves as far as that's concerned as well, um, because, it's, a, it's an important topic to the people that work for us. And we, we, we kind of thought we were doing well enough by, by having a DNI policy and saying we don't employ dickheads and we don't let a bullying happen. But as the CEO of the business, I, 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 I looked at myself and I when was the last time, Andy, you actually looked at your quality policy properly? And it was probably because was filling out a tender, right? So that's not good enough. Yeah. So, you know, so, so you, you're learning, and, and that's because the recent events that have happened in the world are affecting the guys that work for us. Some of them directly, actually, and we, we've got a we've got an actual direct, tangible, two or two direct, tangible responses that we're doing in response to that, because honestly, I mean this, we, we are, if you cut one of us, we all bleed, and we're a team, you know, and that's the way we work. Um, and it's important that, not, look, listen, not everybody will agree with every decision we make as a business, right? Of course. That, that's never gonna happen. But you've got to listen, and you've got to learn, and you've got to be open-minded, and you've got to, you've got to realise sometimes that what was always right isn't so right now.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, Andy. Um, look, but before before we finish, I just wanted to focus on one part of what you just said. It's it's something that I've always encouraged and spoken about, and been passionate about with this podcast with with the mental health piece. Um, because because I think it's it's what we were saying. I'm. I'm have you do you know Ronda Ambrosio?
1: No, but um, I saw a link to the podcast you did with her this morning. Actually,
0: yeah. So, so, and so, why? Why I wanted to just hone in on that, Andy, is because I think one of the most difficult things that I hear from leaders when it comes to mental health is like how they start cultivating their culture to talk about it or impose things like that. You, the things that you've done, like how how did you start that? Because obviously, you, I'm sure you didn't have those things in place before. Clearly you listened, clearly you obviously communicated with people and this is something that's important. Clearly the intention's got to be right. But Mm. how did you start implementing this in your business? Because I think that that worries a lot of people. They don't know where to start. They don't want to sort of get people to feel awkward or difficult. I don't know. How did you go about sort of implementing this? Because I think people can get a lot of value from that.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I (laughs) I I I I I don't remember us deciding one day. This is a problem we need we need to challenge it. Uh, but I, I think the th- the thing with mental health is that there's a big umbrella term. And yeah. we all have we all have mental health. Yeah.
0: Um
1: uh, in the same way as we all have physical health. And it's it's not consistent, you know. Um and I think because everybody everybody's dealing with their, their own stuff in their life all the time. Um I think again. I, I don't remember something happening. And I was going right. We've got to deal with this, but I, 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 it's evolved with the. And what I didn't, what I learned is that a lot of the time it's the little things. So mm-hmm. I've got, I've got a couple of guys who work in our head office, so I see them every day. Um, who, who, who have um challenges with the certain aspects of mental health, and this is just a tiny little thing, but it's an example of what works. So, if they're having one of those days as they call it and they're struggling with it we have a an agreement they just kind of give me a like a bit of a wink or a, you know like a tip of the hat it's one of those days because the anxiety for them is actually telling you that they're not feeling all right so you go through a process to learn what helps them feel less anxious in the first place so it's just a bit of a you know, I've got somebody where they they just send they just send me a WhatsApp and and, and just say it's one of those days I'll be working from home today, and we've generated that culture where that's that's cool, that's what happens because that's the way that makes them feel less anxious about these things.
0: Yeah, so just just, just quickly on that, Andy, because I think this is the part that's quite challenging. How did you encourage these? Because I think one of the things that's hard is getting their, your people to talk about this. So how did you? I guess this comes from you being vulnerable and and you sort of sort of being the leader yeah, that you are. But how did you get these people to open up to the point where they where you decided that actually, yeah, this is what works for me. This is what really helped. But they've got to talk to you about it first. That's that can be difficult for leaders to um, get people to open up about it.
1: It's a good question. Um, I think, I think I think a lot of it is building an environment so that the the people that can help, those that are vulnerable, and we're all vulnerable, right? But everybody's got sort of that person to go to, call them a manager, a stakeholder, a director, or your, your pal, whatever. I think it's creating an environment, first of all, where there's trust and where you know that, that that trust won't be compromised. And again, that sounds like a really wishy-washy answer, but I think that's the most important thing. But you don't do that purely for the purpose of mental health. No. Do that for the well being of people generally and the good of the company. I think once you create that kind of environment, I think people find it easy to entrust anyway. I mean, it's interesting because people still come to me. We've got HR department and people've got their own managers and some people do still come to me. You know, some you just have connections with some people or you don't. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and some people come to me and talk about it and I'll say, Look, you're not the only person to feel fit to feel like this. I can't name names because that's also not fair. That I think that's the that's the really the really interesting paradox with the, the talking about stuff is you can't talk about other people because it's not fair on them but you have to know that it's okay to be able to talk yeah. and, I, <laughs> and i think inherently in the business now people know that they might not know who is struggling today or generally or what have you but they, know, they just kind of know it's okay because they can trust they'll trust that their person above them will do that it's, it's knowing somebody will do the right thing with the information that's the right thing by you and the business not just the right thing by the business and yeah. that's the important thing our h r manager is incredible at it, and he's, he's he's so empathetic, but he he's also balanced as well you know um and i, I think i think i I think it's important that, you, that the message is consistent as i said it's not just on mental health week we put a loads of jargon on LinkedIn and pretty pictures and, and then never mean it i think it's having it's having sessions with external help consistently you know we've had a number of different sort of experts or, or you know, subject matter people coming to talk to us about stuff because quite often what one person says will, will resonate with a number of people, but what somebody else delivers differently yeah. will resonate with others. And I think it's making sure that you consistently push that. And when you do that and you spend your own money on it as a business and you spend time on it, and it's not time out of their day, they're doing it in core hours, they're doing it in the middle of the day, they know that you mean it then.
0: Yeah, the attention um, again, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's consistency of approach. Uh, and I think it, it, it's, it, it's probably we still make mistakes, but I think it's them probably seeing in what we do that we are mindful in the decisions that we make.
0: Mm. And it's just, just quickly, Andy, like how open have you, because cause I've spoken to a lot of people about this and sort of when we talk about moving the needle and making change, typically the answer is it's got to start from the top. So clearly you've got a HR person that has the the capability of being empathetic, being in other people's shoes and these things, but I think you as a business leader, how open have you? How open have you been with your staff? I don't know, Brown, because I think this is the part of the challenge as well. Is like, okay, well, I'm. To, everyone's telling me it needs to start from the top. Does that mean that I have to stand in front of everyone and tell me all my struggles? Like, where do I go? Where do I draw the line? Like, how open have you been as a leader with your staff around yourself and your journey?
1: I think if if you decide the way forward to start this is me standing up and addressing everybody and saying, you know, I've struggled to get out of bed this morning, blah blah blah. For the sake of starting that process. I don't think that's authentic and i don't I think people will mm. see through it. I think if you create the culture where you can go and sit down as the CEO of the business you can go and sit down with the trainee or the business administrators as, as well as the f d or a recruiter or whatever, and you can have the same sort of conversations and you can be open about your life to a point wherever you're comfortable with you know um I think again that creates that environment, um, I think it's important that they see—you know—they'll see us as business leaders backing it. As I said before, with our with, with our money, which most people are cynical about for recruitment businesses. You know, they're they're keeping all the money themselves and sitting in these ivory towers or whatever. So I think my wife wished was true, but it's not true. <laughs> um, but you know, um, I don't know. I don't. For me, I think if that feels right, then yeah, do it. If it doesn't and it's not you, I don't think that's the right way to start it because the whole point of this is is being allowed to be yourself and to feel a certain way. So being forced to do something that you think is right for everybody else that isn't right for you is probably the wrong starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think personally, I, I get, I'm no expert buddy at all, but for me, I think it, it's it's about that, that authenticity again. I mean, for me, I don't, I'm I'm happy to tell people about certain parts of my life. Absolutely. And um, I, I wouldn't want to tell everybody every single worry because I also have a duty of care to not pass every single worry on to everybody else. Otherwise, they'll be on eggshells around me. And I think because I, my responsibility as a business leader is different to others. Well, that doesn't mean that I can't tell people when I'm upset or when I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty easy to read anyway. Yeah. I, in, in fact, I think my, my, my challenges and my weaknesses have probably been that I've been too open. and and, and maybe too easy to read. And I said, it's that, you know, putting the chimp back in thing about, about um, maintaining a level head, you know, it's it's being that swan, isn't it? Um, But, and I think that there is a very, very, again, I'm no mental health expert, but again, having listened to a lot of the experts on this subject, I think it's a very fine balance and it's showing vulnerability, but it's also not panicking people as well. Um, And it's showing them support, but it's also not, you know, again, being honest, it's, it's, it's not a, not allowing them to 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 make such a big deal of something that it, you can make it worse by overregging it with them as well and again it's finding that balance it's supporting people and giving them what they need but it's not allowing them to maybe be self-destructive at the same time because i've also sometimes been too lenient and then actually what you do you allow somebody so much breath that, that they cause harm to themselves in that way um and again that's a learning curve and it's knowing when to, to stand up and it's I don't. I don't know. It's an interesting subject, which is why you know you'll you'll be able to do full talks with people about this who so have got a lot more to say about the subject no, just, than me, yeah. You know. Um, um,
0: so look, Andy, you've been in the the industry for for a while. This is obviously a very unique circumstance that we find ourselves in. But how how do you see the sort of land lay in the next six or twelve months in the recruitment industry? What do you think is going to stay stick around what do you what sort of do you think are going to be maybe some of the biggest changes that you are keep an eye on or interested to see how it plans out what's going through sort of your head um if you're looking at the next six to 12 months
1: yeah i think i mean i think one of the the big things everybody's talking about the christ there's a million polls about it on linkedin is is, is what sort of the, the working environment and logistics is going to look like and yeah and, and that, that's for us in terms of recruitment businesses and uh, it's also a challenge for our clients as well. And I, I think that is going to be the, the the topic for a while, along with obviously how how the economy recovers. Um, and I, I think that's really really interesting. Um, and I think like you know we we've experimented recently. We've taken on two remote consultants that we've never done before. Um, two lads who are cracking fellows who are up in Philadelphia. You know we haven't got an office up in Philly, um, but we, we we've sort of we've decided that in this sort of new world, we're going to trial stuff and we're going to see what works for us. And for me, I think I think the working remotely, working from home thing is absolutely here to stay. Some people were further along the curve than we are now. Some people were a long way behind it. And I think, you know, I talked to, to my leadership internally about this and I don't have the exact long-term answer just yet. So I don't think we are in what the consistent new future is going to be yet. Yeah. But I think what's really important to me is that we try, we try stuff now. I mean, we've got three different working patterns now which is completely elective people choose exactly what it is they want to do work from home work from the office or do do a, a three two mix
0: um, a three two and, mixer is that three days office two days home yeah yeah okay, cool.
1: most, most most of us including me are doing the three two mix which i never thought i'd do because i was like get me away from the kids and get me to work but i'm i now cherish that 20 minutes at lunch where i can see the kids or you know i, I finish and i don't have the hour commute home and, and stuff like that but i wouldn't want to be here all the time but again it's not assuming that everybody wants the same thing as me yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really important but i think for me I, I think the reason why we're trying lots of different tracks with this at the moment um you know, a lot of my recruitment mates at, at, think i'm daft I'd get everybody back in you know it's all about the environment and the culture in the office which it, it is that's big big part you talk to any of my guys why are you still at the business? It's the people the people the, yeah, yeah the environment and but i think for me it's going to happen right and i would rather we find our our little voice in this world and our way of doing it that suits us before you're dragged along by the coattails because well if you don't have any working from home everyone's going to leave you and work from joe blogs up the road who are doing it this way i'd rather us find out what works for us by our own volition than because again it's like it's like the mental health thing it's like the blm thing just, oh we've got to say something because we've got to be seen to do you know what i mean i don't want us to have have freedom for our guys to work in different places and flexibility because we feel like we have to give it them after yeah that's, that's bullshit
0: that's it's a great way to look at it i think
1: there's diminishing returns on that i think you've got to do it and for me i'd rather find out early and make the mistakes now and find out so we're into our pattern and then Uh-oh. also, I think you, you're probably in a better place to be able to help your clients and your candidates with it, because they'll face the same struggles as well, because you're going through the same journey. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a very, very important topic. And I think for us, for the industries we recruit for, if we're smart, as, as I think we have been so far, and, and work hard, I think there's no reason why we can't come through this pretty well. Um, but the, the fear at the moment is, is there a bit of a, a dead cat bounce with regards to hiring? You know, what's the two or three months' worth of pent-up hiring and spending that's being done all of a sudden in June and July, and and, and then it slows down when the furlough scheme ends and things like that. So there are, there are a million different um, variables at the moment that, are, that I think are going to affect us going forwards. A second spike, you know, I, I'm sure everybody worth the salt is now making sure that they are a lot sort of um, more tightly put together in case that happens or for when it happens. Uh, and again, we don't know what, what, what sanctions will be imposed on the way we work at that point in time anyway. So I think it's just making sure that you are aware of that and, and that in any which way it goes, you have a plan or probably five plans, right?
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I think it's a great way to view, actually, yeah, let, let's use this time to experiment, let's use this time to listen to our people, what works, what doesn't. I think that's great. Um, final question, if Andy could uh, communicate to recruiters recruitment business owners the the recruitment people they'd listen to your advice they'd implement it what what would uh, Andy say to the people?
1: Oh, I probably just spent an hour talking about that <laughs> um, I don't do, do you know what if, 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 one piece of advice I, I, I always struggle with this because again as I said before I think it depends what's in your mind at that moment in time you could ask me tomorrow I'd say something completely different I think um one of the the, the biggest things that's, that's that's changed me, I think, in the last few years, is being open to outside influence and uh, being aware that you know your competition out there out there are not the bunch of dickheads you thought they were, you know, um, and 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 people will share and there are kindred spirits and after, whether that's from official networking groups of which I'm a member of a couple, uh, or whether it's just reaching out to people. What I've seen in in COVID times, as recruiters come together as a body, probably being honest because they've been forced to, because we're in the same sea, even though we're in different sized boats. Um, but I think, for me, I, I I would like to see the recruitment industry carry that on more and support each other more, um, because that way I think that a lot of the the, the tainting on our industry will slowly uh, become to, to disappear. There's other reasons as well. But I think that the, the biggest the biggest reason for it is is that competition i mean don't get me wrong i still want oscar to be every business out there right um but i'll have a chat with people and my door's open to anybody to, to talk about that and I, I help lots of people with businesses when they come to me for god knows why um but i also i there's really cool people i can call on as well and for me that is so super important and you can do that as a from a training recruiter up to a business owner
0: yeah andy i love that it's been a pleasure
1: okay thanks.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Heisha Azuz and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have Two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.